Welcome to our weekly podcast of Womankind Collective with me, Lou Hawkins-Thompson and me, Jinty Sheeran. Come and join us as we embark on a fun and educational journey talking to experts and advocates on subjects that are often taboo. So go and get the kettle on and settle in for a chat and probably a lot of laughter along the way. It's our penultimate episode of Series 6 already and this week we welcome the lovely Cherie Hargreaves to the podcast. Cherie will be talking to us about what it's like to be 22 and in post-menopause. We discuss the diagnosis of premature ovarian insufficiency at age 15 and how it's been for her since. We chat fertility, friends, school, university and advocacy. In the book collective, we talk more menopause as we've reached chapter 10 of Rebel Bodies by Sarah Graham entitled Menopausal Crones When Sexism and Ageism Collide. We give you the recipe for our seasonal nice buns that we will be making for next week's podcast. Can you guess what they'll be? And we have a new rubbish WI for you. And finally, we will have a quote for the week. Uh, we've had some great comments again, Lou, haven't we? Oh, we certainly have. What have you got there? So we've got Pink Gilly 15. She said, a fantastic episode, plus orgasms are everything. I'm very lucky to have a wonderful, supportive partner. I can't imagine the loss of libido, yet I know it could happen. Best to know as much as possible. You do incredible work. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you, Pink Gilly. And uh, WWR Digital um, said definitely have a bit of Romo um, now and again. Yeah, and some more support for our Romo. So it was, was my Menno coach. She said, I stopped watching the news five years ago. No regrets. I choose when I want to what I want to read. I use my own sources. I stopped watching soaps also 15 years ago because I found impact on my well-being was huge. Yeah. Agreed. I found that you used to find the same with magazines them. as well. I used to feel awful after. Oh, yeah, I don't watch soaps anymore. Closer magazine. Yeah. They make you feel awful, oh, don't they? they do. Um, and lovely Kate, Menno Maeve, Kate Duffy um, says, I'm Romo presently, no news. It's depressing and infuriating. So I don't need that in my life at the moment. Don't Brilliant. blame her. And uh, loads more agreeing, wasn't there? Yeah, so, there was. So we've still had a lot of love for Jasmine on last week's um, podcast as well. Jasmine Slay from Change Your Space. Angelina, who's not on Insta, that's her little handle. Um, really she is though, isn't she? she that's is. the irony. That's, she's ironic. Yes, very ironic. Uh, really enjoyed the podcast yesterday with Jasmine. She came across as very calm and, and a very gentle person, yeah. well suited to dealing with this sensitive subject. Another lovely guest on the podcast, ladies. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Um, and join steady. It says I am listening. So it's an Insta handle. I am listening to this now. Unearths treasures and releases burdens. She's commenting from, or she's, uh, what's the word? Inverted commas. Uh, quoting, 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 quoting from Jasmine Slay yes. on our, on our. Uh, Absolutely. That. So Aileen uh, Boblin, she says, I love this week's quote. Um, it really resonated with me. Women are immensely strong and this overly patriarchal society has drowned the recognition that this this world needs both energies, female and male, yin and yang. 
And on our menopause clinic for Devon, lovely Jane says it's appalling in my area are having they are having dreadful experiences from their GPs and are being told HRT is a fad. Suck it up. We prefer our patients to go through menopause naturally. We're going to read more of that on Rebel Bodies, aren't we? Yeah. Um, it is um, absolutely unacceptable and it just shows a lack of education and empathy. Women shouldn't have to travel miles out of their area to receive the right help. It's nuts keep up the work good work ladies oh and then menopause pt cat she she messaged us and said we she's a devon girl as well we need our clinic and to be able to access the support we need on the nhs it shouldn't be a postcode lottery i'm traveling from plymouth to london for implants after exhausting all other options and having to fund my treatment privately as still waiting on the referral out of area Early menopause is challenging without having to fight for the treatment we need. Yeah. How's your week been, gents? Well, this week, Lou, mm-hmm. I um, was reading about a couple of new books um, that are out. Um, what, I'm going to ask you a question, Lou. What do you think life was like for women in medieval times? Oh, pretty shit. I mean, I think it's always been shit through history, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, well, well, well yeah, has you it or may be it? surprised, you oh. see, we are led to believe this mainly from the Victorians. I shall carry on. So carry on these forth two with. books, I will, as you say in medieval times, henceforth with. Henceforth with. Um, two new books have been tackling the assumption that life for women in medieval times was always awful and patriarchal. Um, one book called The Once and Future Sex, Going Medieval on Women's Roles in Society by Eleanor Jenniger and The Wife of, the Wife of Bath by Marion Turner. They both contend that women in medieval times were brewers, blacksmiths, court poets, wow. teachers, merchants, master craftsmen. They even owned land too. And a woman's dowry, Jenega writes, was often accompanied with firm instructions that property had to stay with her, regardless of what her husband wanted. Why did it go so fucking wrong? Ah, well, I shall tell you. Tell us, tell us me. So I read an interesting article about this over the weekend by Martha Gill, and she says, while it is true that aristocratic women were considered drastically inferior to their male equivalents, they were traded as uh, property and kept as ornaments. Women of the lower orders lived relatively in a sort of rough and ready empowerment. Um, apparently, she says it's the Renaissance that rolled back women's rights Um, as economic power shifted the emerging middle classes began copying the aristocracy Mm. and confined their women to the home putting them the financial mercy of men and Martha Gill tells us um, in the 13th century seeing visions and hearing voices might get a woman sainted a hundred years later, she'd be more likely to be oh, burnt at the stake. Probably hysterical witch. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <clears throat> and that the reason she says it, this is news to us is because much of what we think we know about medieval times was invented by the Victorians because they had a bit of a fascination about Aren't medieval they? times. Yeah. 
and and they had an artistic obsession with this period and Victorian women were more socially repressed we've looked at it with mm. um, lovely Fern Riddell haven't we in her book uh, socially repressed and their 12th century forebears um, and she Martha also points out that modern storytellers um, including people like whoever wrote Game of Thrones sorry whoever G.R. No. Martin I've never watched an episode of Game of Thrones. There's quite a lot of people that haven't, but I know that's that's not based on Mm. uh, that's not actual history. But they, they, she says, we endlessly retread the lives of oppression, oppressed noble women, and ignore their secretly empowered lower order sisters. Where poorer women are mentioned glancingly, they are pitied as prostitutes or rape victims. So I, I suppose also what what you notice throughout history poor people didn't write the books did they no of course the rich they people wrote no, the books absolutely so they were and they were to be believed because they had the money and the power exactly and I suppose a lot of people couldn't write either absolutely. but these two women this Eleanor Janega and the, the Marion Turner these historians have written these books they've gone back and they found what they can from um you know from the poor that's really people. exciting it's times really yeah. exciting isn't it so it can, it has happened yeah. and it can happen again. Fashion news. Oh. Do, 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 I do. don't think in medieval times they would have been worrying about this fashion, Lou. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. Giant 1980s style shoulder pads are making a comeback in women's oh. fashion, say experts. Were you a fan of the shoulder pad in the 80s? No, I used to try and cut mine out, to be fair. Did you? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a lover of of, of the big pad, the big shoulder pad. It looked like you had like a your coat hanger still in, didn't you? Yeah, I loved a shoulder pad. Like Grace Jones, real pointedy shoulders. Yeah, no, I wasn't I wasn't a lover of the shoulder pad. No, I quite like them. Well, Kate Blanchett was at the Oscars wearing them, and Victoria Beckham and Beyonce have also dabbled um, of late, and many were seen at the recent Paris fashion shows wearing them. Um, uh, Zara apparently is among the fashion houses stocking up, uh, stocking up on dresses and blouses with shoulder pads. Oh, I hate the cheap ones though. The shoulder pad droops yeah. forward, and you end up with like it looks like, like half a bra, yeah, and like half a shoulder pad. It looks like you're between boob and shoulder. Yeah. It's not attractive. <laughs> um, so maybe put an extra stitch in yeah. there or something. That's or cut them out Jesse. like I did. Yeah. What you look like with one cut out? I don't know. <laughs> that you would could be an be... interesting look. Yeah. Asymmetric. Yeah, you could be, couldn't you? Yeah. See, there's why haven't the fashion houses thought of that? Oh. Sure. They're behind the times. They, they is behind the times. Um, the surge in popularity was confirmed by Harriet Walker, fashion editor of the Times, Lou, who said that power padding was returning. Power she, padding. Power padding. She wrote, <laughs> fashion's pushiest and most neoliberal trend looks set for revival. Let's call it the trickle-down effect from the Paris shows. There, broad shoulders and plenty of padding with a dominant look of the season. I, I want to call it neoliberal. No, no. Fashion analyst and personal shopper Gina Rogers said, shoulder pads are always lingering in the background. It just takes a few fashion houses and celebrities to get the ball rolling and bang, we're back in full 80s mode. See, so, you know, the thing that worries me is shoulder pads, power dressing, dress like a man. Yes. You know, to make yourself bigger and more... 
Yeah. So, but I in our know. fashion, in our fashion episode with Annie, she did mention about some people like shoulder plaid pads. If you're kind of very up and down, yeah, they give you a they little give you bit, a bit of shape, shape don't they? Not but, to you know, we don't want to return to the patriarchal no times. No, where we're all trying to look like men and behave like yeah, men. I'd rather have a rara skirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could set shoulder pads and a rara oh, skirt. Yeah, with my knobbly knees now. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Lou? Lou, how was your week? Yeah, I've had a good week. I went and saw Esme Young, yes. who is the presenter. She's not just the presenter on the Great British Sewing Bee. She is oh, a fashionista and um, a lecturer at Central St. Martin's party with Bo. She was lovely. Took took my mum along to see her. Um, Your mum didn't know who she was. Then, no, did she, but Lou? she yeah, we really enjoyed we <laughs> really enjoyed, enjoyed her her hours chat, and she was such a feminist. So yeah, she did make me giggle a lot. Um, that was just on my shoulder pads. That was my little bit of fashion news. Um, I've been, I've just been absolutely shocked this week, Florida. So what's f- happening in Florida? Have you not heard? No. So Florida now have gone. Uh, it's gone through one line of whatever it has to go through legislation to the subcommittee or something. So Florida is now considering a ban on menstruation before men- the discussion of menstruation before sixth, sixth grade. So before the age when of eleven. Sixth grade. Oh God. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Florida lawmakers are considering a draft law to strengthen state control over sex education um, and that its sponsors say would ban any instruction in schools about menstrual cycles before the sixth grade. So before the age of 11, girls and boys will not be taught about menstruation. So the proposal comes um, as Florida's Republican-dominated legislator backed by Governor Ron DeSantis, and we know he's, he's a bit of a dick, mm. has already passed um, a, a raft of laws limiting discussion in schools on gen- of gender and sexuality and reducing the emphasis on diversity in public schools. So the latest proposal is from a Republican called Stan McLean. So he says that um, sexually transmitted diseases and our health education, he really wants to keep a really tight hold on it. So it's anything about about sex and menstruation is only going to go through grades 6 through to 12, which is 11 to 17-year-olds. So before then, you're not going to be taught. So I hear you asketh me, who is this turd? Who who is this turd? (laughs) Absolutely. Stan McCain. McLean. Yes. Who is smearing his middle-aged... Yeah, this is what I wrote (laughs) this morning. Who is who is smearing his middle-aged white privileged turds on women's bodies and turning Florida into the new Gilead. Yes. I mean, under his eye. Blessed be the fruit. Blessed be the fruit and all. So Stan, Stan has 11 children. He's a Baptist church member. Mm. And he has voted to prohibit abortions after 15 weeks. Um, But probably, as you know now, uh, Florida, again, this is starting to go through is now trying to lower that to making abortions illegal after six weeks. And he's backing that. Um, He defended the bill in a way to make sex education more uniform, he said, statewide, and give parents more leverage over curriculum. 
and later he said he was open to amending it. How, how does that give parents more leverage over curriculum? What, the, what planet is he on? Yeah. So that vote that on that subcommittee was 13 votes to five. How, whenever did knowing about something uh, prevent something from happening? I mean, knowledge as we know is power, isn't it? If we know about something. How many girls start menstruation before the age of 11? Nine is 11, really 12. common now. Nine exactly. is really common. What the hell? I know. And some, not all parents are going to be talking about it at no, home. Of course they're not. And they'll be like me thinking they're dying. Yeah. Well, Stan McLean thinks it's going to be okay. And so, how is that going to prevent sexually transmitted diseases? The less, to me, the less you know, the more that thing is going to spread. If you know about them, think, right, I'm going to yeah. use protection Knowledge here. is power. It is. A white middle-aged turd is telling us, Yeah, is telling the women of Florida... They don't need to know. See, I, I, I'm nothing. I've got nothing against religion, and I think you know, for, for anyone that has faith, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. That is not really. He's blaming his religious beliefs on, like you say, Gilead. It is religious it is beliefs taken to yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it is turning into absolutely. Gilead, and it's got nothing to do with the Bible. It's got nothing to do with religion. It, it, it's but it's got everything it's, to do with white middle-aged men bullying. Yeah completely yeah. so patriarchal oh, society she's... fucking wankers You're fierce now yeah. aren't you sorry about that swearing <laughs> so our guest today is 22 year old Cherie Hargreaves we first met Cherie in October last year at the menopause rally in Parliament Square at 15 Cherie was diagnosed with premature ovarian insufficiency or POI, a diagnosis that she kept hidden from her friends and family for four years. At 19, while at university, Cherie felt ready to discuss POI more openly, saying, when I was 15, I would have loved to have heard someone spread awareness about early menopause and make it all seem like it's a little bit more normal than I thought it was. Cherie is now active within the menopause grassroots community. Yes raising awareness to help and support not only teenagers but other women in natural menopause too premature yeah. ovarian insufficiency happens when the ovaries stop function functioning before the natural age of menopause this means the ovaries no longer produce eggs and are unable to produce the hormones estrogen and progesterone which are really important for women's health and well-being approximately one in a hundred uh, women under the age of 40 um, one in a thousand women under 30 and one in 10,000 under 20 experience POI. Um, POI can be caused by autoimmune conditions, cancer treatment, surgeries, or genetics. However, 90% of women diagnosed with POI, uh, the cause is unfortunately idiopathic, meaning there is no known cause and it just happens spontaneously. Uh, we've spoken to Dr. Hannah mm -hmm. Shaw and Dr. Mandy Leonhart, experts on POI and the authors of the brilliant book, The Complete Guide to POI and Early Menopause. In series five, episode six, so catch that if you want to know more and we've spoken to the lovely Natasha Owens about her experience of living with POI since 13 um, and she's now in her 40s that's series three episode 12 um, but we wanted to chat with Cherie about her life as a young woman and the impact of POI on her daily life so welcome Cherie Hello. it's good to see you again Hi. what nice an intro <laughs> 
So Cherie, you were diagnosed at 15, but what happened before then? When did you first begin to experience symptoms and what were they? And did the health professional suspect or test for anything else? So let me just cast my mind back. So um, I got officially diagnosed at 15, but I was in and out of the doctors um, from around the age of like 13 um, all the way up to 15 getting diagnosed finally. Um, I The main thing that made me go to the doctors was the fact that I didn't have any periods and like all of my um, friends um, had all started their period and I was just like, what is happening to me? Like, maybe this is okay, maybe it's not. I don't know, really know what to do. Um, and I went up to my mum and I was like, I've not started my periods. I also had no breast development, like nothing telling me the signs of that puberty had like started. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, well, I was like late bloomer. Um, so maybe you'll be a late bloomer. Um, so I got to about 14 and I was like, I definitely need to go to the doctors. Like I can just feel something's not right. Like I don't know how to explain it, but something's just not adding up. Mm. So I went to the GP and I explained it to him. Um, and there was no blood tests. There was no like actual you know like questions even it was just mm-hmm. like tell me what's wrong and I was like I don't really know what's wrong this is why I'm coming to you mm-hmm. um but yeah I told him that I had had no period and I've not had breast development and he was like you're still too young yet um and I was like okay I'll go back so I went back home and I just forgot about it. I just forgot about it because I was just like, well, if the doctor well, you trust says the doctor. I'm okay. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. If the doctor says I'm okay, then I'll just get on with my life. Like, got my GCSEs to get cracking on with. Um. So, yeah. So then I got to my 15th birthday and I just knew that, like, again, just something's not right. It's getting later on now. Like, maybe I need to go back and just say, oh, I've been before and it's still not here. Like, can you help me? Um, So I went and they took it a bit more seriously this time. And I think it was because my mum was a bit aggy at the doctors being yeah, like, need to sort need. this out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they ran like... um a few tests they thought that it was a bloody brain tumor oh, at wow. the beginning God. God. That um, must have been a because they did you. like a peripheral vision test yeah. thing and I failed that test I didn't I don't know why what happened really I'm not sure about the medical jargon or anything but um they like sent me down for more tests and it wasn't that thankfully um and then they like did an examination like there was no blockages and then finally they did a blood test and was like yeah your fsh levels are through the roof and your estrogen levels are through the floor and i was like 
Tell me what that means, Doctor. Yeah. Yes, just words. It's just yeah. letters and words, isn't it? Yeah, yeah literally. And yeah. they were like, it's something called um, premature, uh, primary ovarian failure that they called it at the right. time. Um, but now it's premature ovarian insufficiency. Um, and I was like, what does that mean? And they were like, well, you're infertile and um, you won't be able to have children. And I mean, as soon as they said that, my mum just burst out crying next to me. I'm just in a bit of a frozen state, yeah. just like, I'm not sure what that's meant to mean. Mm. Even like, like as a 15 year old who wasn't, who wasn't like stupid or like naive, but yeah. I was still like, what does it like infertile mm. mean really? Mm. Um, and they just said like, you'd have to do egg donation for IVF and they booked me an IVF specialist appointment. Wow, at 15? At 15, yeah. So, so um, your, ma- your main reason for being there that or they saw you as for somebody to reproduce yeah rather than Cherie the whole the whole person yeah, exactly. woman, and what was yeah. going to happen and Sod's law the week before I'd had a science test and we were going over like really simple definitions that can come up as like a one mark answer to a question and um it sticks in my head like this day really like ingrained in there um and they were saying what a species is and it was like um a species is an organism that can reproduce and that that's what you had to put into the your exam and I was like had it down on my flashcards and stuff and I was going through them and then it came up and I was like what am I I'm not a species yeah literally I was just like what does this mean oh I had like so many questions but then at the same time I just fell into the trap of like stigmas and stereotypes just going around in my head so I just didn't want to tell anyone yeah at the same time but yeah that's how I basically found out at 15 um but yeah it was a rocky road and what were they they obviously mentioned the infertility first and and then what what was your support like from from then on from not then on but at that time at 15 what support um, did you get so the with my diagnosis they obviously prescribed me straight away with estrogen mm-hmm. um and they said this will help you medically like your bot this will help your body just take it every day um and then they said, oh, we're going to prescribe you with antidepressants because you probably will be depressed. And then I was like, okay. I mean, I've never had, like, antidepressants before, mm-hmm. never gone to the GP for, like, sadness or anything like that, luckily. Um, but, yeah, I was literally just 15. I'd been prescribed, like, a long list of drugs and then including antidepressants yeah yeah like it's probably gonna be a thing yeah so flippantly I just didn't get I just didn't have the education and I'm I'm someone who thrives off knowing about things as well like I I literally like 
read up about a lot a lot of things like all the time just because it's interesting um but they just didn't tell me like the basics even like I just had no idea so the support wasn't great at the beginning um only until like later on when I like carried on reaching out that the support got better but I think that's to do with like your self-advocacy and yeah like speaking up it's such a huge bomb to drop on anybody of any age isn't it let alone a 15 year old and to just drop that bomb and leave you and I can't believe it was just um with it that was just with a GP not with a consultant that was oh no so I went to the GP and they prescribed they um referred me to a gynecologist so it was it was a gynecologist it wasn't a specialist I've never seen a specialist for POI. Um, I've only ever seen gynecologists. But, yeah. That in itself is just so wrong, isn't isn't it? it? Yeah, that's that's what you need. That's your... You couldn't get a more complex menopause case, could you? So, yeah. Um, And what was... So, you then, you went from there. What was... I mean, teenage life... I mean, I hated being a teenager personally, but, I mean, it's difficult enough to navigate as it is. Um, How did you... You sort of mentioned before that you kind of not ignored it, but you Mm. didn't tell anybody because you didn't know enough about it. How did you manage with friends? And you must have been in your doing your GCSEs. Yeah, so I was 15, so I was doing my GCSEs. I was um in year 11 so the year, last year of high school um I honestly just completely ignored that side of my life and just took a pill every day and then just got on with it and like as many women do just put up and shut up like that's mm, honestly unfortunately that's like what I did I just like threw myself into school and I like threw myself into education and got my grades and then went on to sixth form did my A-levels um yeah and then I just like worked 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 and then so I didn't have any time to think about it so like being a being a teenager for me wasn't it wasn't like awful because as I've always been like really sociable and like the big the loudest in the group and stuff like that so that side of things wasn't but I think some part of me is looking back with rose tinted glasses because I know for a fact it was it was not as fun for like my mum because she was like the only one who knew and like she took on a lot from me and was like a massive rock in that process because I never wanted to tell anyone else apart from her so she was like my only outlet yeah but then obviously I was like so adamant that she couldn't tell anyone either so she like had hardly any support apart from my dad um but like she didn't have any support and obviously only now I can recognise that it is not just a me problem because I used to get very angry at my mum for, like, saying, like, being upset about it. I used to sometimes just get angry and be like, it's not you, it's not your body, like, why are you getting upset? But 
it's her daughter at the end of the day and like she also has to go through the waves of the emotions and everything as well so yeah I think now I do look back and I think oh it wasn't all that bad but then I have to like think to myself actually it probably was really really bad yeah I think and it's so hard as a mum Oh, God, um, definitely. And like she burst into <clears throat> tears when when they yeah. told her you couldn't have because you know she she knows what what joy she's had from having you yeah, and yeah. just Literally. the thought that that you you wouldn't be able to do that. Was mum had she gone through menopause or did she know much about menopause um, herself? So she was only, I think she was like only forty five when she started oh, going through okay. it. Um. So, but she was never on, sorry, she was like never on HRT or anything until I got on to HRT. Um, so more and more I learned about it, the more and more I taught my mum about it. And she was like, what more I learned about symptoms, the more I learned about how else to manage your life. I was just, because obviously my mum was, like I say, my only outlet. So I had to tell her about it, like, um, so she went to the doctors herself and she like got herself on HRT from wow. me being on HRT. So like she got help as well as that's like how lovely me. is that? that really... The daughter is educating the mom. Yeah, it's yeah. a really yeah. beautiful, <clears throat> beautiful thing, really, yeah. isn't it? And a real bond for you both. So so what are your thoughts, Cherie, on like fertility and children? How how you know have you moved along? Um, so at the beginning I've got to say it was a massive hit. So, like, I wouldn't like to go to any sleepovers anymore because they would all talk about baby names and, like, mm. about how many children they'd want. And it was such a big thing in my own mind. And obviously, I never spoke about it. So I just took myself away from those situations whenever I thought that it might have been triggering. Um, and I'd always... I think because I was so young I was 15 never thought about having children I just took it as a granted that like one day probably I will so like I never gave it any thought and then obviously when the option is almost taken away from you it it's like that's all you can think about it's really strange like you just get a bit obsessed with like certain things and like making sure that you're like eating well and having like the best chances I mean I was 15 like I wasn't even sexually active yeah I was just consumed by this yeah feeling of I want to be a mum and it was like massive and I was only 15 years old um and then one thing that like really sticks out to me is um I started university and I was in my first year and was all getting to know everyone because obviously you're chucked in a dorm room with 12 random people and you're like wanting to get to know everyone as quickly as possible and we're all playing a drinking game and um one of the questions was um it's it was like say it or shot it like um say a truth or drink and the truth was given to someone was like what's your worst nightmare or something like your worst fear and she was like my worst fear is like not being able to have children and I was like sat in the room and I was just like oh my gosh 
yeah I wasn't expecting like that response and I, it just I like had to take myself away and like compose myself I was like I can't believe that I am living this girl's like fear like her biggest nightmare but then it also like cemented it down even more like you can't tell anyone like a pressure cooker it was just like getting worse as I as I got older more conversations about fertility came up more conversations <laughs> about health and periods and boobs and things like that all of these conversations were just getting more intense so it was just like pushing the the diagnosis even further into the back of my mind I was like I literally can't now I can't make everyone think I'm weird I was going to just going to say that have you reflected on why you you did would it was it because you wanted to be perceived as like everybody else I think as a teenager it definitely was like as a teenager obviously all you want to do is fit in mm-hmm. yeah so a lot of the time it was just like I can't be I can't be seen as abnormal because like if someone's not normal they get bullied or whatever yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I can't do that. And then as I got older, it was more like, it's when's the right time to say something? I don't want people to stop having these conversations in front of me because I don't yeah. want to be treated any differently. But then I'd also like want to talk about it. It was a really big dilemma. And then it was like scary for me to be like well what if I get into a relationship and like when do I say it like when do I talk about it like it's not like on a first date you don't go oh by the way I can't have kids because they might whoa yeah Yeah, presumption how many dates do you have before you mention it oh it's you can't mention it when you get married because then it's too late. Yeah. What if they wanted to back out? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's before yeah, so you get too was... emotionally involved with them as well, isn't it? Yeah. But then you need to be emotionally involved to have those conversations. Yeah, exactly. So it's it was really hard. Um, but then when lockdown happened, um, I couldn't throw myself into education anymore. Um because every, all my exams were cancelled at uni, all my essay deadlines were cancelled and I basically got a clean pass straight through the first year. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, all summer when, like, when we had that lovely weather, I was, like, stuck inside being, like, so down and because it just all came flooding in. Like, the gates had just opened because... I had nothing pushing the gates closed anymore. I had no distraction. No distraction, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I I just, it all just came flooding in and I was just overwhelmed by it. By the end of lockdown, the first lockdown, I was like, do you know what? Screw this. I can't be thinking about this anymore. Like, I don't want to be beating myself up all the time every time I think about it. But I don't know how to tell everyone. Like, how do I just... Yeah. I just want to say it in one sentence or say it in one thing so everyone knows and I don't have to have a million conversations. Mm. And then I was like, actually, this could be used for education purposes. And I was, like, racking my brains, like, what can I do? And I was like, I'm just going to do an Instagram. Brilliant. So I drafted my first post and I posted it on my private like 
family and friends Instagram first. And I said, like, on that post, I said, head over to this Instagram if you want to learn more and, like, break down the stigmas with me. And I posted it and I just threw my phone across the room and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I've done that. And then my phone was just ringing off the hook, like, people messaging me. I've got like, goosebumps. Me too. Did, did mum know? Did mum know you were going to do that? Did you tell mum? I told her the day before I was oh. going to do it, and yeah. I was, and she was like, "Oh, can I? Can I um talk to family now? And like, can I talk oh, to friends?" She about needed it? to talk as she well. So she needed, to, yeah. You know, she needed to share she as well really as you. Did. You so did, and so did she. Yeah, like both of us grew so close by like having that conversation that was only ours right at the beginning yeah but then I knew for a fact that like one day she's gonna have to talk to someone because it was just really hard for my mum and like I knew it was but at the same time I was like this isn't your thing it's my thing at that time yeah um but now it's like great because anytime mum's got any worries or anything like she doesn't just have to tell me because sometimes I think she was worried that if she had worries and she'd talk to me about it then it'd make me even worse yeah Yeah. it adds to your burdens doesn't add to your load Mm. so I'm grateful for the fact that like she can now openly speak to anyone and she runs like her own little group chat with all of her um menopause friends Fantastic. <laughs> yeah so she like um does like weekly coffee in the morning stuff Fantastic. with them talks about her. hrt Fantastic. <laughs> it's so nice and so you said so your phone was was going mad because everyone obviously yeah. it's the first that they knew even even family as well as as friends apart from your yeah. mum um and then you were sort of went back to uni and so how how was thing how were things after that with socializing because obviously we know menopause is difficult enough when you get older um but we're, we're of sort of an age where we don't want to mm-hmm socialize quite as much oh, we do no. we do a bit we're getting a, we do a little bit but not you know we want to be home with a cup of tea by nine o'clock but <laughs> you know at your at your age and uni you you want to be sort of socializing and, and the, the, the yeah. recommendations for menopause about you know not not drinking too much not eating this and not how how do you manage the sort of impact of your lifestyle I mean, choices it is it is difficult because there's such a drinking clubbing culture at university like if you don't go out four times a week you're like what's wrong with you sort of thing (laughs) and like I mean like I said before that I am such like the life of the party I always like going and like socializing even if that's like when it bringing the girls or bringing the guys all around our house we're having like a dinner party or if it's something like going out clubbing I I love the socialization so that wasn't the hard part the hard part was my body not like keeping up with that so like yeah. my mentality was like I want to do all of this stuff I really want to go out all the time I want to socialize and like drink alcohol it's all fun like this is all good but then like I suffered worse with hangovers and like 
I was definitely the one that was like bed bound sometimes <laughs> the next day. Like all my friends were like, "Are you alright?" I'm like, "No, I did did too much." <laughs> um, but yeah, sometimes I had to take the take the, take the grandma days. Yeah, grandma days. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah nothing matter with a grandma day. Yeah, <laughs> but now I'm doing my masters. Um, I'm studying at UCL. And like the when you're doing your masters, I wanted to take the approach of like throwing myself into my masters instead of the clubbing. So yeah. now it's like not so much clubbing and more books. Work. Brilliant. Yeah. What are you studying? Oh, I was just about to ask oh. that. Yeah, but what is your, what was your degree? Um, so your I'm studying degree? gender, society, and representation. Okay. Um, it's a masters of arts um degree and it's basically um like philosophy politics and sociology all thrown into one but um I've like tailored my degree around like feminist gerontology so the study of aging and how society perceives aging people that's amazing. Oh, Sherry, I didn't think I could love you anymore. I know. <laughs> I just I know. get better and better. She does. And nobody better to, to put those things forward after you've finished, you know, whatever you do with your degree and your master's. Nobody better You're because you've got lived experience yeah. as well, yeah. haven't you? Wow. I'm doing my dissertation at the minute all about early menopause, so... Oh, there we go yeah, absolutely <laughs> brilliant using all that experience you're gonna be a doctor to... in a minute oh I love oh, it I hopefully one day it. I'll do a PhD hopefully yeah well what, and, and talking about sort of what you're doing there in in your um advocacy is an awareness of, of POI which you obviously want to do more of in in your mm. studies and, and everything um so that sort of began really I suppose with people coming to you did it and and asking you and wanting to know more um, mm. and do you find that helps you do you find it helps being able yeah. to help other people yeah so when I first put that Instagram post up um, it took a while to feed through all the messages because I had so many messages from like my intimate family and friends so I did that first and then as I was like going through them, like there were people who I've never spoken before, like to before. And I was like, oh, this is this is cool. Like people are asking me questions that I don't actually know who they are. Mm -hmm. And like it'd be nice to see what they're doing and how they are. So it was more of like a friendship thing. Like I was having like a lot of online friends um and i got really close to a few of the girls or online who are similar ages to me cuz a lot of people who post about poi are all like 30 and above yeah. and yeah. i was like 18 when i started posting so i was like a lot younger um actually i was 19 but yeah um so yeah so i was quite young being online being open about it so it was really nice to have people approach me who were younger as well it was just more of like a let's normalize everything mm. instead of let's just ask about hrt and let's yeah. ask about what sort of symptoms you've got like i love having those chats don't get me wrong like i love helping people like find their 
find their individual HRT or what suggesting things that might work out or talk asking if someone else has had this symptom and if they've how they've gone about it but the best thing about like being on social media is honestly just being normal like we're just normal people who struggle a bit and like you know help each other out but we just like like having fun like everyone else does and yeah yeah I love that part of it yeah that's making friends it's brilliant so Cherie if your 15 year old self was listening to this podcast right now what do you think might have helped her and any advice for any other teenagers that might be new to POI that's a deep one isn't it Mm -hmm. um if my 15 year old self could see me now I think she'd lose her marbles she'd be like what the hell is going on here (laughs) you're like how the heck have you got that confidence to say any of that stuff um so yeah I think she'd just be blown away and shocked that I've even been able to say the words never mind chat about it with people and strangers I think she'd just I think she wouldn't believe it to be honest um but it was the best thing I've ever done so if I could say to my if I could reply back to the little 15 year old me I'd be like well like you're gonna have a few hard years but when you go on this journey to talking about it and being more open about it you're gonna just have the biggest weight lifted off your shoulders that you'd ever experienced in your life so like just just you wait little one yeah I love that I love yeah that. but um yeah if I could say to any other teenagers or any young anyone anyone going through menopause anyone going through early menopause POI um any anything that affects things that are always seen as private like something that's to do with your private parts like at the end of the day we are one of half of the population and if it's not your best friend going through it, if it's not your mum going through it, then maybe your best friend's sister is or maybe your cousin's teacher at school is. Like, someone is going through it. Like, you're not on your own. Um, So just... I know it's hard to talk about it, but it is the biggest source of happiness because it just helps so much it's like a therapy yeah yeah. like this right now it feels like therapy guys you should be charging for this I just think as well you know it's it's breaking those stigmas again isn't it it's what we all try and do with with menopause let alone POI you know in your diagnosis actually saying the words out loud yeah that is what's going to break it isn't it nothing good ever comes out of keeping things to yourself yeah. unless unless it's like your mum did for you yeah what and what I love uh, meant to say in in a bit a bit about your advocacy is that Cherie helps not only helps people your age you you help 
it, like you went back to just now, menopause happens, you know, to any age group. Yeah. So it's it's a gap. It's about helping each other, whatever age. You've obviously got added difficulties, you know, um, uh, uh, being your age. But you you help so many people on your Instagram. Yeah, I mean, there's there's older women asking me what lube I use so it's like I I love it I love people coming to me and asking me questions like do you get the sex questions then do you get if you're younger they come to you they they love it it. they they tell they tell me also they're like asking me what vibrators and everything wow (laughs) I know but I love it yeah I'm like do you know what you're not past your prime because if I'm not past my prime and I'm going through something similar to what you're going through just know I'm 22 I'm still going out I'm still having sex still having fun that doesn't mean that even when you're older oh now I'm past my prime just because I've got an age attached to it no Mm. not at all like this is why I love supporting everyone like I even talked to my mum about lube that that was a question and yet you you know that was a topic you know your 15 year old self would never think you're gonna have with her mum oh gosh if if she could hear she'd be in a coma (laughs) so we've spoken about your instagram account um where where can people find you if they want to um follow you and see what you're up to yeah so it's um at life of poi underscore on instagram um, I'm just about to start up a TikTok, but that's not that's not ready yet. Um, but yeah, so Instagram and my DMs are always open for anyone. Um, but if I'm busy with uni, it might take three to five business days. But... <laughs> three to five business days, but I'll get back. I will. I love that. I love that because there's so many accounts that yeah. just don't they close DMs and and it's and it's all right putting stuff out there. But what what do people do with that? Yeah. Where do yeah. they go with that? Yeah. So that's really generous of you. Really generous of your time. Um, and oh, you're a busy yeah. girl with all yeah. the, with your masters and <laughs> yeah. What um, you like London? Is it sort of? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I like the I like the fast pace. I like um how everything's just available to you like anywhere like literally like there's just so much to do and for free as well yeah there's so much stuff to do for free people are like normally saying how expensive it is and don't get me wrong it is expensive but there's a lot of things you can do like just even walking around different parks is really nice yeah 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 and most of the museums and free aren't they yeah yeah yeah, drinks oh, aren't though, they're quite no. expensive. Yeah. Oh no. Cocktails. no. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> Shuri, we could talk for hours, couldn't yeah. we? And I um, love this. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> absolutely Good. wonderful. You're an absolute angel. Um, but we've got to cut off at some point. So um hopefully we will see you on the uh, campaign trails and yes. the uh, menopause trails um somewhere soon. We can have another natter. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Thanks, Shuri. Definitely. See you Thank later, you. guys. Bye. Bye. book collective so we are on a re- still reading rebel bodies yes. a guide to the gender health gap revolution by sarah graham and we are on chapter 10 menopausal crones when sexism and ageism collide what a chapter what a chapter and quite apt after the wonderful sheree there is talking about being crones and ageism and sheree was talking about we're all in this together let's keep it all you know normalizing yeah. menopause whatever age 
Yeah. You are. Absolutely. She was amazing, by the I way, wasn't she? I loved her. I really loved her. I, I can't know. wait to meet her again and give oh, her a huge hug. Fantastic. Yeah, me too. I mean, and Sarah, Sarah describes um, menopause been actually different to everything else that she's written about in this book. Because she said, with menopause, though that sexism also collides quite spectacularly with a broader societal ageism that says older women those past their sexually attractive baby making prime simply aren't that important anymore in the media and in the workplace these women are seen as past it dried up and gradually become more and more invisible as they age Mm. I think that just sums up the whole of yeah. what society thinks yeah. of menopausal women yeah oh completely and we had a chat didn't we after talking to Cherie who was saying about um and, and um about and it's been all over uh, the internet this week about women are not past their prime no. at a certain age and this invisibility uh, thing and like Cherie said if she's not past her prime then then Norway at but 22. We, at 22 then Norway but we kind of that's how it's seen in the media isn't yeah. it so and Sarah goes on to talk about um well she begins by sort of talking about how menopause is having a bit of a moment doesn't she with um you know like Davina McCall she says Jenny Eclair Liz Earl Meg Matthews are all shining a light on it um um but which is great, but it's not really yeah. changing anything very It's not fast. changing anything, but it's that double-edged sword where you need a celebrity endorsement yeah. to actually open open media doors, don't yeah. you? Yeah. And, and try to start normalising. Definitely. And we were saying, also saying earlier in, in, in private, weren't we, that you once anything gets talked about, you have to put up with a bit of a backlash, yes. which there was also that you've just got to have that to be careful. But she talks about the, some statistics from the Nuffield Health, um, and she says um, that one in four women experiencing menopause symptoms were concerned about their ability to cope with life, with 62% reporting symptoms that resulted in changes to their behavior or which had a detrimental effect on their lives. Meanwhile, six. 67% said there was a lack of general support for ad, uh, advice and for those going um, through menopause. We've seen that ourselves Absolutely. with our own um, survey. I mean, our own survey, Lou, we found, what did we find? I'm looking over here, um, that only 11% of people in the whole country are satisfied with menopause in their area. And that's shocking, isn't it? It is shocking. That's shocking. And, and Sarah talks about the un, there's uh, the unspoken belief that women above a certain age are too old, too sexually unappealing for sex anyway, and certainly too old to want to expect to enjoy it. So we're talking about sex here. So she said instead, women are told they should simply tolerate their discomfort, self-medicate with alcohol, or even find oh other ways God. to pleasure their husbands because that, of course, is the main thing. And then she's asking, would a GP's response to the same be the same if a man got his penis out, told his GP that it was sore, splitting, itchy every time he had sex and he would get a UTI? No. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't happen, would it? We, just, we know it wouldn't. And why can they not see, see that? It, 
it, it's just, oh it'll get you wild oh, this it, chat. It, yeah it will but to be honest it's nothing it's um, nothing that you don't already know if you listen to this podcast you probably know everything that you read in this chapter yeah um but what was lovely lou we both said didn't we with some lo- uh, names of people we've spoken to that you'll yeah. all know listeners like katie taylor from um the lounge latte dr nigat arif um, and, and the lovely diane. diane um maybe rebel bodies um book this the second part we'll have Cherie in in there as well all these wonderful (laughs) advocates um but um yeah it's lovely to sort of hear their stories isn't it and and why they started sort of campaigning most most definitely um I think it's it's all about you know um she talks about the LGBTQ plus community as well the lovely Tanya and the Tanya, queer menopause. She, she yeah, began she's campaigning. And, and, and she's really pushing that online, yeah. which is absolutely amazing. And Karen Arthur, she, yes. she mentions as well, yeah. obviously, for, um, you know, menopause uh, whilst black. Yeah, and she's really important. She she said, I mean, Karen, Karen Arthur, she, it did make me chuckle this morning, actually, when I was reading it. She said she, she's been having conversations about menopause with some of her friends around her kitchen table for, for about two years. And then she realized we needed more. We needed a platform for black British women. It was one of those things where I'd been looking around and thinking someone else will do that. And then it dawned on me, oh God, it's going to be me, isn't it? But I couldn't not speak out. I, I didn't have a choice. Yeah. You know, and that's where I think we, you know, a lot of women are. Yeah. Well, we felt the same about our campaign yeah. for an NHS menopause clinic in Devon. Yeah. We, we came home and pre- presumed somebody would be looking into this. And we asked around, we wrote off letters and nobody was. So you suddenly get to the point, actually, like, yeah. okay, that person might have to be us. Yeah. And and, and, our, and our statistics show that there's, there's uh, that, that black women actually yeah. um, start menopause about up to two years earlier than their white counterparts. So, you know, already, you know, they're, they're, they're on the back foot, aren't they? And exactly. they've got a disadvantage. We've spoken to Mira Bogle, didn't we, about yeah. diversity and, and uh, you know, in, in menopause. Um, and it's so, it's so important. Um, she also talks about, or this is Dr. Dr. Nigat Arif talks about um, the training in, she's, if you don't know uh, Dr. Nigat Arif, she's, you, you will know her. She's on the telly a lot. Yeah. Um, and she's got a fantastic uh, following and fantastic profile on, on Instagram. Um, and she says, we've seen a lot, she's talking here about um, the lack of training for GPs, which is part of the hashtag Make Menopause Matter campaign. Um, she says, we've seen a lot of misinformation about HRT, which came out of flawed studies and menopause care has never been a mandatory part of medical education for healthcare professionals. She adds, we don't teach doctors about menopause and how to identify the seemingly hotchpotch symptoms or the options for HRT. And she's, I think that, set, that sums yeah, it up, doesn't it? Absolutely, because she goes on to say about HRT and benefits of dementia, cardiovascular. I mean, it's all in this chapter. It, it is all it's there. Full. And also lifestyle, if you can't, you know, can't have HRT. It's, it is, it is it's all stuff. It's a great chapter because it's all stuff that we talk about. And but that, it's really succinct you know, it in is. one chapter. The, the menopause yeah. toolkit at the back is great. She signposts you to the uh, Dr. Louise Newsom's balance app. Yes. Um, Estrogen Matters book, Estrogen Matters, yeah. 
and, and, and finally and, and diane sorry diane's of uh, menopause support yes. um, website which yeah. has got all if you want a checklist if you think you might be in menopause um it's got a fantastic checklist there with all the symptoms of everything of everything yeah so um we are reading our last very last chapter um next week can i speak to a real doctor dismantling a sexist medical model and that is chapter 11 i, I believe we've got a guest we have we've got one of our listeners who's been reading along with us so she's going to come on and and chat to our book collective so there'll be, be a little little three bit of, of us a, three of us what do they call it a manage 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 around the rebel body <laughs> Next, we have our foodie and all this series, we have got our new feature, Nice Buns. Nice buns, nice buns, here's my nice buns, so good you could eat me up. Okay, so next week, we are going to be making um, marzipan hot cross buns as it's oh, we'll be finishing for Easter. Pan. Yeah, me too. Um, and so you're kind of going to make your own with this. It's with almonds. So I'm just going to tell you what you need and then the rest of the information will pop on the show notes and we'll be, you can make it with us or you can... Um, or we'll without be us. It, or without <laughs> us, whatever you want to do. Um, so the ingredients, should you choose uh, to accept? is 300 mils of milk, um, either dairy or vegan, um, 50 grams of butter, 500 grams of strong white bread flour, one sachet instant yeast, 75 grams brown sugar, mixed spice, cinnamon, a little bit of salt, three eggs or vegan equivalent, sultanas, mixed peel. Gosh, there's a lot on here. A bit of orange. We're not having mixed peel in there, Lou, are we? Oh, you, you saw the look on my face. Yeah, I did. I, I saw it. That. You should have you seen that. that. She looked like looked at me with disgust, listeners. Oh. Absolute disgust. So we won't be having mixed peel, but you can. Um, well, you need <laughs> some icing sugar, 140 grams of icing sugar, 75 grams of caster sugar, 200 grams of ground almonds. I love a ground almond. <gasps> and some apricot jam there you go that's what you need get it all in and um we'll make the buns next week oh lovely Mm. wi wi we didn't do one last week did we We had a busy week we had a very busy week we had a lot in the diaries we were both overwhelmed yeah bloody stuff us add on stuff us add on we did and your lovely um our lovely listeners are doing the poll on spotify about their diaries so we're gonna let you know how that goes next week but uh yeah it's looking very much one way at the moment (laughs) i'll I'll just say that um so but i've got one for us this week okay go go um for those who don't know lou and i were on the um lovely um radio bbc radio devon last week the lovely fitz and joe and we were talking about rubbish we, we know we talk a lot of rubbish don't we but we were, but actually, we were actually talking about rubbish, about rubbish. <laughs> and and menopause cafes and other things um but they they mentioned about the great british spring clean um now it's now into its eighth year uh the great british spring clean is 
Keep Britain Tidy's annual national cleanup campaign, and it's still going on for this week. So during the campaign, members of the great British public join forces with a range of partners from big business and trusts to community groups and councils uh, to get rubbish off the ground and safely collected and recycled. So our WI and your mission, should you choose to accept it. I keep saying that, don't I, this week? You'd think okay. I'd watched Mission Impossible, wouldn't you? you? No. Anyway, so our WI this week is to keep a carrier bag in or bin bag with you in your pocket. Poo somewhere. bag? Poo bag. Yeah, a couple of poo bags. Mm. And pick up rubbish when you're out and about. Just look for it. I do anyway. Yeah. Oh. Oh. But yes, I will That's do it. She's just rubbished my WI. Yes, I will I do that. I will do it with more purpose. <laughs> do, do it with purpose, Lou. Thank you very much for uh, humouring me. Thank you very much and good night. <laughs> We're all weak. <laughs> Do you have a quote for us this week, Lou? I certainly do. But I've been feeling a bit blur this week for whatever reason. Um, And I found this amazing quote by the lovely Caitlin Moran. And it is, It's always sunny above the clouds. Always. Every day on earth. Every day I have ever had was secretly sunny after all. It just says it all, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's one to put on the wall, isn't it, for your yeah. down days? Yeah. Just look at that. Have on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. There is sunshine. It's raining outside now. Yeah. Devon Mizzle. Yeah. But sun your above life might feel cars. like a bit of shit at the moment. Yeah. But the sun is still there. Yeah. And even love when it. you don't realise it. I love it, Lou. Wow. Oh, what a week. Yeah. Great week. Fantastic week. So we hope your tea's And only not one got... week oh. left. Sorry, oh, Lou. She's, she's straight in there. I'm, I'm ready. I've look, just... I'm built myself up for me ending. <laughs> Gone for the lovely quote. Built myself up for the ending. She's like, oh. I've got to ruin it all again. Shall, yeah. I, shall I do it, do it now? Do it, do it now. But I'm just going to say, we've got one more week left in this oh, series. Yeah. How's that happened? We're on our Easter break. Easter break. Not that I'm going anywhere. No, me neither. No. But never mind. We'll hope for sunshine. Carry can on. I just, can I start? Carry on. I'll try not to interrupt now. Right. <clears throat> well, and another thing. <laughs> <laughs> which tells you, bugger off. Right. So we hope your tea's not gone cold and that you'll join us next Sunday for The Collective. We would love you to subscribe, favourite and review our podcast. It really does help us spread the word. Please head over to our Instagram page, Womenkind Collective, to leave comments or DM us with your thoughts or watch us and our guests on our Womankind Collective YouTube channel. And lastly, you will find all the links, recipes, guest details, and our hashtag Where's My Clinic campaign petition for a menopause clinic in Devon on the podcast show notes. <sighs> Cup of tea, Lou. Yeah, and I'm going to get myself a word in Edgeways. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs>